You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar with Pro Football Focus's Eric Eager to help us prepare for Week 1 Vikings 49ers. Eric, we made it. We made it through camp. We made it through the preseason. We are finally here at Week 1. How do you feel? I mean, this is real football, man. I, I, I have no words for how you know great this week will be. That's right. You couldn't begin to describe all the emotions that come along with week one. Now, let me ask you a question first before we get into Vikings 49ers and look at kind of each position battle that might make the difference this week. Preseason. Some of the pro football focus stats in preseason were very interesting to me. Something like, I'll just give you an example of Mike Boone getting the majority of his yards rushing after contact. So he was in there a lot of times with second team offensive line and he was having to shred tackles. Did a great job of that. He ends up making the team. Uh, how much can we take away from some of the grades and some of the numbers that we see from pro football focus? from the preseason do they tell us with some players kind of what they might be when they get a chance in the nfl if it's guys that aren't you know clearly like nfl starters yeah i mean something like that i think is actually pretty telling right that the guy can break tackles and he's got the pension for that um actually interestingly i've written down here of the 429 preseason rushing yards the vikings got 304 of them came after contact so it was sort of a common theme that the Vikings kind of had to get all their yards on the ground after, uh, you know, after basically, you know, getting hit. Um, you know, one of the interesting ones I looked up actually was Matt Wild, the new Vikings punter. If you look at his, like, pro football focus grades in the preseason, he's one of the highest graded punters that we've had, uh, at least from the plus minus perspective in the last two seasons. So he certainly is impressed there. And, I, you know, with all the teams being our clients, obviously you can't attribute necessarily uh, you know, those signings to the grading systems, but it does sort of coincide with he was very good. Quigley was very, not very good, right? The, the, the Vikings make a move there. So I would say from a predictive perspective, so if we're trying to pick who's going to cover the spread this week, Minnesota versus uh, San Francisco, I probably don't use any of it. Um, but if I'm looking at like who's going to make the team, who has potential, Stephen Weatherly's been a guy who has graded really well for us all three years he's been on the Vikings mm-hmm. in the preseason. Tayshawn Bauer was another one. They end up making the team over long-standing guys like Brian Robinson. So I think that they do matter. Preseason certainly matters on an individual level. I would say from a predictive perspective on the team level, basically nothing. And, and I'm very interested to see what happens with Bauer and Weatherly because they were exceptional during the preseason. And if they are good enough 
to force out a guy like Robison, who has been around for as long as he has and was still getting after the passer to some extent last year and even in training camp, uh, forcing him out, I, I think says something about where they stand in actually using a defensive line rotation. Do you think, by the way, just to that end, that that is the way to go? with team? I mean, you see Philadelphia do it, and this is just like a common football thing of, well, the team that won did a thing, so now we all need to do a thing, right? right? But, I mean, yep. the, the Vikings had the number one defense in the NFL not using a defensive line rotation last year. So I'm just curious if, if there's any evidence to support that being a good idea, or will the Vikings just kind of talk about it and then play Everson Griffin all the time? Well, I think we know from a you know an analytics perspective that pass rushing grades are some of the most stable things that, uh, on a year-to-year basis, but we also know that there is an age curve for defensive linemen, um, and the ones that sort of um, end up like curbing that age curve are ones that end up being more part-time the later on in their career. Um, guys like Cameron Wake, who are starters and very brilliant doing so, end up being still good later in the career. Dwight Freeney, similarly, they recently retired 49er Elvis Dumerville, sort of same same thing there. So I think if you look at Griffin – um, and Hunter, what was interesting was that when you rely on a player that much and they get injured or they they fall off a little bit, you really do notice in the defense. And I think they had a noticeable difficulty getting pressure on Nick Foles, for example, in the NFC Championship game. So I think you're onto something there. And I think just having – and they've never really been a rotational team, uh, you know, under Zimmer. But I do think that they should sort of consider that, especially I think one of the things that this might open up is the possibility of playing – uh, uh, playing bar on the defensive line with Griffin playing inside where he excelled in the Leslie Frazier regime, just kind of moving those guys, being a little bit more creative there, especially now that they got a guy like Iloka. They can kind of mix and match defensively, and if some of those younger defensive linemen uh, can elevate themselves and put themselves in that rotation, that would be even better. As I think this Vikings team has, you know, their, their eyes set on winning the Super Bowl, and that takes 21 weeks, right? And so um, having defensive linemen fresh down the stretch uh, will be really important in that regard. Yeah, I definitely think that Anthony Barr is a part of that, especially when it comes to something like third and seven, third and eight, that having him come off the edge and then moving Everson Griffin inside will create a lot of problems for opposing teams. And Zimmer wants to, of course, as anyone would, uh, repeat how good they were on third down last year. That's not going to be easy against some of the great quarterbacks that they're going up against, but making changes and not just sticking with what he's done in the past, I think is a, it's a Mike Zimmer thing. And one of the reasons that he's been so successful and you're right about the little sort of domino effect of George Iloka and the different ways that they can move Harrison Smith around for sure. And uh, with Everson, the mistake that they made last year was leaving him in against the Cleveland Browns in London on the last play of the game when it's over. And I, and if anything, even if they don't rotate all the time where Bauer or Weatherly are, are coming in, if you're up by two touchdowns with four minutes left in the game, bring in those guys. I, I mean, there's no excuse for if it's not a close situation, which in many uh, games last year it wasn't super close with the Vikings, at the end of the game in the fourth quarter, there's no reason to be playing starters. You see this across sports even. I mean, sometimes in basketball, they, they've gotten really good at this, but sometimes you'll still see starters in when you're up by 20 in the fourth quarter. Like, 
every minute that that guy gets to rest is an extra minute that he's not getting injured and that he's just, you know, building up some extra strength for the future or, or not wearing down even more. And I, I think that was the real issue was we're going to play Everson Griffin every snap, no matter what that, I mean, that's too much for anybody. Well, and you have to save some of these players from themselves, right? So these guys, you know, in their contracts, they have, you know, incentives for sacks and things like that. Right. You right. said it's across sports. It's across Minnesota Vikings history. And, you know, there's a famous, uh, the Vikings in the divisional playoff game of 1998, John Randall was, got injured on the last play of that game, a game they won by, you know, three touchdowns. He has to be a part-time player against Atlanta in the NFC Championship game. Atlanta catches the Vikings from behind in many reasons because they didn't have the pass rush that a Hall of Famer like John Randall could provide. So it is something that I think, you know, when you have that kind of depth, especially, and hopefully they have it this year, you, you end up, uh, you end up using it, especially in the end of games where you said where there's almost no leverage on each particular play. Well, since we're talking about the defense, let's start there with week one, the Vikings defense against the San Francisco 49ers offense. What do you think the impact will be of the 49ers losing Jarek McKinnon, who clearly they were very high about bringing in? Yeah, I mean, they're, you know, I think San Francisco very much with Shanahan wants those backs that can do a lot of things, right? So when he was in Atlanta, um, they had Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman, who were nightmares for defenses. Um, and, and I think, you know, here they wanted McKinnon to be that player. Now he's gone. We know, you know, analytically that the value of any individual running back is pretty scarce, right? It's more sort of how you use it. It's more, you know, how good is your offensive line? Um, and, and how efficient can your quarterback be throwing the football, especially to your back? And so, you know, I think it's a big blow for fantasy teams. I think, you know, it sucks for him specifically, honestly, but I think, for the San Francisco 49ers offense on the season level, it's probably not going to be that much of a deal. Alfred Morris a season ago averaged 4.8 yards a carry, a full, you know, eight-tenths of a yard per carry more than Zeke Elliott. And even when Zeke was out, Morris averaged more yards per carry during his, like, six start in, in his stead. So Morris is a good back. I also, you know, Matt Breed is a guy who's, I think, multidimensional. So I think that they can, like, sort of cobble together a good running game. I think what what's really interesting about this matchup is San Francisco is one of those teams that have been the Vikings and Zimmer's kind of bugaboo over the years, which is a team that isn't afraid to go heavy and throw the ball and, you know, isolate players like Ben Gideon in coverage. And that was kind of their deal last year. That's actually how, you know, they, they had success against Jacksonville, um, one of the best defenses in the league as well. And, I, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's what they'll try to do um, when they go multiple receivers, a guy like Trent Taylor, I think, is going to give the Vikings problems as they have a little bit of a question mark at their nickel spot with Mackenzie Alexander injured and the possibility of playing Mike Hughes there uh, week one. Well, And you know that football is really back when Mike Zimmer spent a lot of time praising the 49ers fullback and talking about the amount of value that, that he brings. And it's it's sort of like a shrug type of thing, but at the same time, uh, it seems like Kyle Shanahan can either go one personnel group all the time or he can mix and match like crazy. And I'm really interested to see how George Kittle fits into this because that was a guy that, you know, I kind of liked around draft time. What was that two years ago? As you know, we always talk about, hey, can you add another person to help out Kyle Rudolph in the passing game as a tight end? 
And it's interesting that I think he's in the perfect type of offense for him to succeed where Kyle Shanahan is going to use those tight ends a lot. Yeah, and he absolutely, you know, I think early on in the season when they had Beathard and Hoyer was very much kind of a an also-ran player. But when you saw their offense, and we actually like kind of we kind of cluster teams by scheme and you could tell that Shanahan was running a different uh, scheme statistically the first few weeks of the season we had Hoyer and Beathard, but when he had, uh, when he had um, Garoppolo in there, he was running kind of the same schematic schemes as Ryan and when he had Ryan and when he had uh, RG three in the past. And when that happened, George Kittle, you know, sort of took off as a player, uh, you know, on play action and sort of down the seam and even, uh, uh, Brett Selleck's brother had, you know, some good plays there as well. So, you know, I think that, um, yeah, and, and Juszczyk as a, as a fullback is terrific. It's, you know, so they're going to, they're going to stress the Vikings defense, I think, in play in ways that other offenses in the season won't, you know, even try to do. Do you think that, uh, Marquise Goodwin is legit? And last year he shows up and gets 56 catches, almost a thousand yards, big plays. He had, I believe the fourth fastest miles per hour with the football. There's a stat for you from, yeah. uh, right. I mean, I don't know what any of that yep. means. There's just some, some guys who didn't run fast forties end up on that list. And some guys like Goodwin, but he is clearly one of the fastest players I think to ever play in the NFL. And we saw that video of him torching Richard Sherman in training camp. He's a guy that I'm very interested to see how they use him because he wasn't really used properly in Buffalo. He had some injuries there. And then last year, they used him in a lot of different ways. They used him on jet sweeps. They used him over the middle of the field sometimes. And then, of course, you know, just going deep as you do with a guy who runs a 4-2-7-40. He's a really interesting weapon to me. Yeah, and I think with guys like Trey Waynes and, and, and Rhodes, who I think, especially Rhodes is more of that physical player and not the kind of speed guy, although he's fast enough, I think. It, it does present some challenges. Interestingly with Goodwin, so he had, you know, he was having a decent season, you know, when the the, four, the two quarterbacks that played before Garoppolo were playing. But in his in Garoppolo's first three starts, eight for eight, hundred yards; six for eleven, one hundred and six yards; ten for thirteen, one hundred and fourteen yards. Right? Those were against you know Chicago, Houston, and Tennessee. You know, so he became you know a bona fide number one receiver when. Uh, Garoppolo is playing and, and I think just kind of takes the top off that defense. And then what really is nice is that now, you know, San Francisco's got Pierre Garcon, who's a you know, quintessential, you know, underneath guy, possession guy who's dropped, I think, one pass in the last two seasons. I think that offense becomes dangerous with, as the, like you said, Kittle, Goodwin to blow the top off the defense and then, uh, Garcon getting first down. And it, it, it will present a big challenge for the Vikings, uh, in, in their secondary. Seems to me too that, you know, their offensive line is going to help a lot here that last year they did not have that great of an offensive line, but they go out and get Weston Richburg, who's, you know, a fairly solid player and then draft Mike McGlinchey, one of the top offensive linemen in the draft. Um, unlike the Vikings, they spent their first round pick on an offensive lineman. Um, and not, it's, not, it's not, it's not legal for the Vikings to do it. Only the other 31. <laughs> not, yeah, I was going to say, not that that has ever been brought up at any time on this podcast throughout the offseason. Uh, it's hard to tell what you're going to get from McGlinchey, but he's a great prospect. And if there's a big difference, even from the last five games of last year, I think it's on San Francisco's offensive line. 
Yeah, McGlinch is the guy. So, like, if you want, if you want a guy who, you know, um, is uh, a gauge of how good he is, Quentin Nelson, who is the best offensive lineman in the entire draft a season ago, he was play, he was playing guard because McGlinch is manning the left tackle spot for Notre Dame, right? So he he's a good prospect. Uh, I like I like what they're doing. I think right tackle is undervalued, right? But I do like the idea of getting a guy who you think is your future left tackle, having him play the string out at right tackle mm-hmm. until your left tackle retires. Joe Staley's been a good player there for a long time. Lake and Tomlinson, a guy who's struggled in the past, but I think has graded okay for us recently. Um, yeah, their offensive line, unlike Minnesota's, is one that I don't think presents a lot of question marks for them moving forward. So I think that this team has the potential to be really good, San Francisco. Um, what do you think will be the ultimate difference maker between whether we are talking about the flying Kyle Shanahan's and Jimmy Garoppolo's in playoff time, I mean, how much of a threat really are they? Or is this kind of a team that's still taking its steps forward, rebuilding from where they were before? I, to me, it's all about their defense. I think Garoppolo is somebody that and I, our PFF founder, Neil Horns, we tweeted out this statistic we created about accuracy. Garoppolo is very accurate. He's, you know, very smart. Uh, you know, it, he's been very, you know, He's done what it takes to win in his seven starts, but beyond that, his analytics are very good. So small sample size aside, I don't think they're going to fail because of the combination of Shanahan and Garoppolo. To me, it's defensively, it's Ken Ruben Foster is not going to play on Sunday, but can he be a player who's consistently on the field for them? He made that play in the preseason covering a drag route and cover three football, right? Like he, he like, made one of the best linebacker plays I you know in coverage that I I think I've ever seen. Uh he's a guy, if you pair him, they got a Kella Witherspoon who's a young guy, Kawan Williams who plays a good slot corner. Um they they drafted up front Solomon Thomas, Eric Armstead, DeForest Buckner, like consecutive years. If you put Foster in that middle and he's the coverage linebacker that he showed a season ago, I think that defense takes off and so if that if that can happen and they can sort of stay neck and neck with Los Angeles and with Seattle, uh, I think you know once they're the type of team that our projections would say are kind of eight and eight, nine and seven kind of team, um, but they're one that conditioned on getting in the playoffs, they have the goods to kind of go pretty far, right? Because you got that quarterback coach combination. So um, that's kind of where I would see them. They're very unlike Minnesota, which I would say Minnesota is probably a team project have more wins over the course of a thousand simulations. But when you put them in the Super Bowl or in the, sorry, in the playoffs, their chances of making the Super Bowl are lower than a similarly strength team because as we've talked about previously, the ceiling on Kirk Cousins is a little bit lower. Yeah. And there's also the offensive line issue, uh, which we still are sort of figuring out who's going to play center. Brian Baldinger tweeted it was going to be Isadora, and he's not really a reporter, so it's hard to be sure. And then Kirk Cousins said it's going to be Jones, and we just got, I don't know. But either way, none of those people are Pat Elfline, and that's going to be tough. So on one side, Reuben Foster is missing. On the other side, Pat Elfline is missing. The Vikings offensive line, we've talked about it a ton, and what a weakness it is on this team. How does it match up against the 49ers defensive line? Yeah, so the Niners made a little bit of a change this offseason. Solomon Thomas, who was the third overall pick in the 2017 draft, was playing edge, really struggled there. And we, 
you know, looking at our PFF data, he was more of an interior player in college. And we've sort of found that guys that play funny different positions in the pros than they do at college struggle there, or we have a right. difficult time projecting them there. So, you know, he, I think he really struggled in our grades this season. He's going to move inside at least on passive downs, but hopefully for them on most downs. So hopefully he'll be strong there. Eric Armstead, DeForest Buckner are two very, very good players, especially Buckner, who we have kind of in that one win above, like kind of anywhere from a half to a win above replacement player. So he's really good. Um, so I think they're off, their defensive front could provide a, the Vikings a lot of issues. Um, and so it just amounts to are the Vikings going to be in, you know, in positive, you know, game scripts? Are they going to be able to keep San Francisco um, from sort of knowing what's coming next, right? Because we know that with Pat Shermer a season ago, the Vikings were pretty efficient on first down, which meant that the defense couldn't pin their ears back on second and long, which meant that on third down, they put Keenum in really advantageous positions. And, you know, they, they had some success offensively despite an offensive line that neither one of us would uh, confuse with the 1995 Dallas Cowboys <laughs> and a quarterback who neither one of us could, would confuse with Troy Aikman, right? So that's kind of the, I think, the question for John Filippo is, can you stay ahead of the stick? Can you be efficient on first down? and give yourself an opportunity to keep San Francisco from being able to do what they want to up front. Yeah, and I, I feel like with Reuben Foster out, this is a perfect opportunity to throw the football to Delvin Cook as much as you can. Right? Put pressure on yep. linebackers and, and try to take away the impact that a defensive tackle can have on you, and that would be yep. one of the areas that they definitely can. I think the screen game is going to be a really big part of this. Um, last thing for you, Eric, uh, just when you look at the NFC in general, what do pro football focuses, projections, and stats say about how all this madness is going to shake itself out? I mean, is there a team that we're overvaluing. And we just talked about on the podcast here, the Chicago Bears with Khalil Mack now. That changes things. The Rams get Indomitian Sue, and Aaron Donald signs his contract. Uh, I saw that Earl Thomas is now coming back to the Seahawks. Yep. So they're not going to be a joke on defense, and they still have a great quarterback. The Vikings have to go there and play them. I am having a really tough time trying to figure out how these divisions are going to shake out. Yeah, absolutely, right? So we have, we do strength of schedule based on our PFF Kilo power rankings, which are actually up on the website as of today. And of the 13 toughest schedules in the NFL, one team is from the AFC. And, uh, you know, as, as, you know, the football gods would be still, it's Cleveland. Um, so, <laughs> so, you know, the NFC is a tough road to hoe, right? It's, it's just, you know, oh, Cleveland. every single team, like if you're looking at like, Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay, you have to face six, you know, six games of playoff teams in your division, right? If you're Minnesota, okay, great. You're 13 and three, but you got a first place schedule now and you got to face San Francisco, who was, you know, a pseudo playoff team a season ago in the last like five, six games. And, you know, you get, have to play Aaron Rodgers again, right? So the whole NFC is tough. I would say the only sort of NFC teams you could prob probably count out the teams that probably don't have a realistic shot at making the playoffs are probably Tampa Bay. Um, and then also uh, Arizona is probably going to have a tough time of it. And then in my opinion, I don't think this is the opinion of the market, but in my opinion, I think the Giants are going to be rebuilding this year too. Um, maybe not in their own mind, but in all reality. Sake. So if that puts them 13-ish teams in the NFC that think they have a legitimate shot at the playoffs. 
And that means that projections for teams like Minnesota, if you ask who's probably overvalued, I would say Minnesota, Vegas over under at about 10. We're probably more like nine, eight and a half, nine. And that's simply because, not because they're a weak team, but because they have to go through such a difficult schedule and things happen, right? And so we all remember 2017 where they went 13 and three. A lot of us forget 2016 when, you know, a few things happen and all of a sudden you're an eight and eight team. And I think mm-hmm. that that's going to be kind of what happens to a lot of NFC teams. Um, and, it, you know, and so for, it, for my money, I think there are a couple teams in the NFC that are clearly the class. And to me, that's the Eagles, uh, the Falcons who play tomorrow night, and then also the Saints. I think those teams, um, Los Angeles Rams, I think are a, a smidge behind them just because of the uncertainty with how good Jared Goff is. Um, but, you know, those three or four teams are, in my opinion, have kind of the easiest road, but also uh, the strongest teams. And then, you know, unfortunately, Vikings fans aren't going to want to hear this, but I think the Vikings and the, you know, and the 49ers and the, the Seahawks and the, the Dallas Cowboys of the world and the Packers, they're kind of like fighting for those extra positions. And if they get a little bit of luck here and there, they can go up in that group. But it's going to be a tough, you know, it's going to be a tough, I don't know if there's going to be a 13 and three team in the NFC this year. You know, um, it just makes me think about like, uh, th- this sounds too much like a, uh, Sunday preview football show take and not of purple podcast caliber, but I think it might be true, Eric, which is the teams that handle the adversity. And I know, I know what this sounds like. The team. You've been watching a lot of the, NFL films. Yes, that's what it is. The teams <laughs> who handle the adversity will be the ones that rise to the cream of the crop. Well, but I really think that though. I mean, I really think that when it comes to a team like the Vikings or any of these teams, that there's going to be these losing streaks. There's going to be bumps along the road. There's going to be two straight matchups on the road against Hall of Fame quarterbacks. I mean, it's just going to go for everybody because it's such a tough uh, conference to, to play in. So the teams that don't let these things sort of build on themselves, as the Vikings did in 2016, where it was just one thing after the next after the next, and they didn't have... Uh, I think at that time, Mike Zimmer did not handle things as well as he could have for them falling apart. Uh, the front mm-hmm. office didn't prepare them to be able to handle some of those things, especially along the, the offensive line. Uh, you know, and they weren't set for injuries either on defense where they lose, you know, a Harrison Smith for a game and it's just a meltdown. They lose a linebacker for a game and it's a meltdown. And I think that they're in better shape to handle some of those things now. But that to me is ultimately going to determine how this goes because there are just so many good teams. Yeah. And what's really interesting. So you, you talk about 16 and, and this is going to get away from the analytics a little bit, but I think of 15, right? So the Vikings played a Thursday night game at Arizona with like half of their defensive starters out. Yes. And all those guys got injured during a Seattle game where they lost like 38-7. And they gave Arizona, who made the NFC Championship team that year, a game on a short week, right? Yep. That 2015 team, in my opinion, faced almost as much adversity. But I think when you think of leadership, right, the, their quarterback that season, Teddy Bridgewater, a guy that we hold in high esteem, right? He leading them through that got them to 11 and five, got them to the playoffs, almost had them win a playoff game. 2016 was rough because the leader of your offense literally joined your team like four days before the first game, right? And so like you could sort of see that and, and, you know, maybe we're chasing 2017. I think Case, you know, Case Keenum was a pretty good leader, you know, and, and in terms of all of the adversity, 
he was sort of a steady hand, if not necessarily throwing the football, but just like in mindset and things like that. So I think the real question for Vikings fans this year is, if that adversity strikes, what kind of like kind of leader and what kind of uh, guy is Kirk Cousins when sort of the your back against the wall? And I think that that's an open question because in Washington, you know, he had you know he had the adversity with with replacing RG three, but for the most part, they've kind of wilted when you know faced with adversity. Uh, and so that'll be interesting if he can take that next step as a leader of Minnesota. I, I would also add that it's a different kind of adversity when you're in Washington and you throw for 4,000 yards and then at least half or more of the media says, well, it wasn't Kirk's fault. He threw for 4,000 yards. And we heard some of that with Sam Bradford too. And there's, I mean, there, that, that's fine if you want to say that, but when it comes to then having Super Bowl expectations from the entire fan base and national media, I mean, that's a different type of animal than, well, it was Washington and nobody picked them to win anything anyway. And hey, Kirk got 4,000 yards, but they didn't win. They didn't have a great defense and so on and so forth. There's lots of different avenues you could go. It, this year, the avenue everyone will go, almost regardless of how he plays, even if he's good and they lose anyway, every loss is going to be looked at as on him because he's the $84 million guy. And that's something that he's never faced before. And it will be very interesting and I think telling to us about what kind of quarterback he is to see him navigate this. And there's you want a, a blazing hot take to end the purple podcast, Eric. My blaze I, I the, the, fear for it. The blazing hot take is that it took Mike Zimmer a couple years to fully understand how to navigate these things as a head coach. And it might take a year or six months or six weeks or however long for Kirk Cousins himself to get used to this because you think about quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or whoever else who have been every single year Ben Roethlisberger they go into it with everyone thinking you should be in the Super Bowl with these great quarterbacks and this is the first time that Cousins is ever going to face that type of pressure it might take some getting used to I just have no idea how long that's going to take or if they come out and win the first five games of the year it'll be unbelievable with this schedule and then maybe he never faces that but I think I get the idea with the difficulty of schedule that he's going to. Yeah, I mean, and if you want, if you want to go even further, I think you can make the argument that Cousins never was fully entrenched as Washington's starting quarterback. Totally. Right? Like, yes. So, so when when you think when you thought of him, you're kind of always like, yeah, but when when he was on the uh, on Washington with Minnesota, he is Minnesota Vikings quarterback, right? right. So yep. their success is his success, and you think about the Packers, you think about Aaron Rodgers. For better or worse, when you think about the Vikings, you think about Kirk Cousins. So I do agree with you that I think it's an open question as to whether or not he'll be able to handle success, failure, all of that sort of stuff as the unequivocal head of the Minnesota Vikings offense and, and team, I think, in general, given his uh, you know salary. Okay, before I wrap this up, I want to say a few things for our listeners who uh, are loyal and wonderful and uh, send emails and so forth that I love answering questions. So feel free to continue doing that that some fun announcements here. First of all, I think I already mentioned that Pro Football Focus, whether it's you, Eric, or Sam Monson, or, or others, will be a part of this podcast all year and on the air purposes. All that's great. Eric, you are also going to contribute uh, on occasion to Vikings Vent Line, which is a new thing that we're doing in the pregame form. So it's going to continue to be postgame, but it's also going to be an hour pregame leading into the Vikings. So if you are listening on the app or if you are in the area, 
feel free to flip that on the hour before and get uh, some good coverage there. I'll be contributing to that. Manny Hill, Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad, and Eric's going to call in from time to time as well. So that's going to be really cool. The other thing to announce is that starting next week, uh, quarterback, former quarterback Sage Rosenfels will also be a part of uh, this podcast, which is really, really cool, and I'm very excited about that. And I know, Eric, that's one of your all-time favorite backup quarterbacks. Uh, yeah, has as a has one purple podcast guest ever named his fantasy team off another purple podcast guest? I'm gonna go ahead and say probably not. I'm gonna guess no. Yeah, I mean, Age Age of Sage was totally my uh, my <laughs> fantasy team name pre Brett Favre. So the the Sage Rosenfeld run as the Vikings starting quarterback was brief, uh, but it but it changed. Uh, it, at least made me change my fantasy team's name. So if you are into the the different breakdowns that we do and going into detail and things like that, uh, I think Sage is going to take it even to the next level on this podcast. So I'm extremely excited about that. Of course, Eric Pro Football Focus will still be popping in and Courtney Cronin on a weekly basis, Judd and I after the game. So we are trying to make this at least four to five times a week for you guys to get more Vikings and more NFL. So I appreciate the uh, listenership, tell a friend, and we will talk to you again soon. Thanks, Eric, and thank you again for listening to the Purple Podcast. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup, so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. The Venture X Card from Capital One gives you more of what you love, like premium travel benefits and access to Taylor Swift tickets. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. Plus, get access to Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, presented by Capital One. Maybe I'll see you there. The Venture X Card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.